0: Welcome to Asbury Pod. This week, we mark the closing of LGBTQ History Month by welcoming Lauren Albrecht, chair of the New Jersey Democratic State Committee LGBTQ Caucus, we talk politics, candidates, and new bills. Welcome, Lauren.
1: The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body.
0: Their interviews always hit the mark, so subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean pod. Everything you need to know.
1: Brought to you by Amy.
0: If you're local, they're the pod for you, but bennies are welcome and Shoebies too. From Route 35 to Convention Hall, Sperry Pod covers it all, as berry Pod, I love you.
1: I love you. Welcome, Sperry Pod listeners, we are taping today, October 19, with Lauren, and I don't I never call you by your last name. Is it Albert? Albrecht? Albrecht. Albrecht. Um, I always say Lauren. Um, so we are here with Lauren. We're going to catch up. We're going to get everybody up to speed on LGBTQ candidates and who we should be voting for or phone banking for or sending postcards against. Um, <laughs> so La- well, only last, Lauren and I were at a Planned Parenthood event last night, and they gave out, which I thought was so great, these little postcards that we have to, uh, I have it on my counter, I'm going to do it, to, to send, is are the postcards for a candidate or against them? I, forget.
2: I actually bowed out at seven, because I okay. had a Halloween party to attend, I had a pretty amazing dinosaur costume that I had to get into um so i missed well i will now. let everybody know who planned parenthood
1: is telling me i either should vote for or should not vote for
2: um, well i mean if we're talking i mean if we're talking in Chris general Smith,
1: i mean that's an easy one right
2: tom Keene, right. jeff jeff van drew i mean i think those are pretty an- easy answers for me if we're talking about congressional races right but first let, we're going to go local first
1: lauren and i'm only um, going to mildly beat you up for living in wall um, maybe possibly throughout this podcast, <laughs> but to give us a little, that's fair. It's, it's totally fair. I mean, really, it's totally fair. You, you are not the person who belongs in wall, although arguably maybe that is, you are the person who belongs in wall to, to shake up wall a little bit, but you got to do an intro first.
2: So what I always say about me living in wall is that if I were raising kids, I would not be doing it here. It would be a lot more important to me where I was living, you know, right now, this is kind of just like. A, a condo to live in that I pay rent on, right? But, like, if we were invested in a school system, I would not be doing it at Wall Township.
1: Um, you wouldn't want your children um, assaulted and abused
2: in their locker rooms? I would say that, for me, the culture in Wall Township and the schools is probably a values mismatch, is the nicest way for me really? to do put... Really? You're not into put... rape and assault? That's... I mean, aside, aside from the situation that happened um, last year at the high school, which was really not good and I don't think handled well as an outside perspective. Um, like I said, it's a values mismatch all around. It's not a diverse or particularly welcome or inclusive place for people who don't make above a certain income level, are not you know, white, straight, cisgendered. Um, I don't really feel like the programs are in place to raise the kind of family here that I would hope to be raising.
1: So when this is happening, and then you're going to do an intro, I texted you and I texted another friend of mine in wall, because sometimes, and I'm going to say this honestly, and this isn't like a weird, you know, the corporate media, but sometimes the, the local media doesn't get it right. They're like, sure, you can, right. You can vote on this, you know, you can vote here and we have no voting booth there. So I texted you and I texted somebody else from wall. And I'm like, is, is this really what's happening in wall? And both of you were like, yeah, this is, yeah, this is accurate. um,
2: and it's, you know, and it's, and it took on so many like different forms, like things are always a little tumultuous here in wall on the school board with the school board meetings and stuff like that, even before COVID, even before um, the sexual assault locker room incident. Um, so it's kind of like you got a bunch of different perspectives of weird stuff. And you're like, what, who, who is telling these things? Like you look at the Facebook group and then there's like parents of some of the kids who were on the team. And there's like parents of other kids who were like, uh, you know, friends with the, the, the people that this happened to and stuff like that. So like, you kind of like got to parse out. But actually, there was a pretty good piece in the Asbury Park Press that was like, uh, just kind of laid out a factual timeline, which I which from what I can glean, um, and not having kids in the school, maybe that's a, an advantage to see things a little Um, objectively, right? Like if my kid came home from school and told me what they heard in school or if this, you know, or if they knew one of the kids or whatever, my perception might be a little different. But, you know, to hear basically what the the APP outlined for a timeline and for um, who who was involved and what administrators and, and things like that are saying, that's really where I got most of the, what I would consider factual information from. Okay, tell us who you are, Lauren. All right. Um, I'm Lauren Albrecht. I'm the chair of the New Jersey Democratic State Committee's LGBTQ Caucus. Um, I've held a various number of positions sort of related to that in within Monmouth County and towards the state level. I'm a former um, Democratic State Committee representative from Monmouth County. I sit on county committee and wall. I would probably just generally consider myself involved in organizing and advocacy.
1: So describe a little bit like what does I know I remember when you were on the State Democratic Committee committee describe both like what does and the New Jersey uh state like the subgroup de- describe what these committees do so people have an idea
2: All right so like um so in New Jersey there's the Democratic State Committee and there's the Republican State Committee right and that's sort of the top down leadership leadership um that then each county structure sort of reports up to and that reports in a traditional way where like people work for each other but you know like the 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 direction and the platform come from the top down right from democratic state committee which has its own leadership um and then there are representatives from each county that are elected on the primary ballot every four years that are members of democratic state committee and they technically vote on issues of the democratic state committee, like who is the leadership. So they'll vote for like who will be chair next and things like that. Technically right now, the de facto head of the democratic state committee or the state party is the governor, right? Cause our governor is a Democrat. And underneath him sits the chair of the democratic state committee, um, the vice chair. Then there's like a secretary, there's a treasurer. It's the same, you know, and then it's the same structure in the county as well, right? So each county has its Republican county chair and its democratic county chair. And they have their executive board, chair, vice chair, secretary, treasurer, whatever other positions they flesh out, their liaisons and fundraising positions and things like that. And then each municipality also has the same structure. So there's a Republican municipal committee in wall. There's a Democratic municipal committee in wall. There are six of us or so. Um, I'm just kidding. There's a lot more than that, but um, it feels like there are six of us. So. And that also has its same structure in a cellular level, right? So that we have a chair, Wall Township Democrats have a chair, Wall Township Republicans have a chair, vice chair, uh, secretary, treasurer. Um, so you can find yourself, if, you, if you're if you interested in partaking in these things, you can find yourself in any one of these positions or as a representative. So I'm, I'm like, I'm on county committee um, representing Wall. I'm also technically now I'm the treasurer of the wall township democrats and it's kind of like the same thing like just where anywhere where you're involved when you're involved and you're halfway capable people start giving you things to do um and then suddenly you have more things to do and then suddenly you have things on your plate so you know and
1: did you and you grew up where did you grow up lord around here uh
2: mostly in uh we moved to ocean township in monmouth county when i was 12 or thirteen. Uh, I started in eighth grade in Ocean. Before that, we were in South Jersey in Marlton. So I lived in Ocean till I graduated high school, and then I went away to school at Rutgers. So yeah, I mean, oh, mostly. still
1: works for Rutgers.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we talked about that. We talked about that while you're getting your tea. Okay. Uh, yep. So important you, to know that Rutgers, I did not. You
1: live up there. You live up at Rutgers. Or you live down here.
2: Um. I lived, oh, I lived at Rutgers. I mean, I lived at Rutgers for as long as I was in school there, which it's important to note, I did not get my degree from there. Um, but I definitely went to school there for several years. Um, and then even after I stopped attending college and I just uh, did some community college at Middlesex, I still lived in New Brunswick for several years after that. Um, I guess just kind of like, trying to figure out what i was doing and then i got into a relationship with somebody who lived in marlborough and i moved into his house and um with his family had like an apartment in the basement or whatever i lived there until we broke up and then uh i guess i didn't really like have anywhere to go or know what i was doing so my mom was like you know you can move in here so me and my cat moved in with my mom um I
1: grew up in Marlboro, and I don't share it that often. Remember, Joe, we did the one podcast with the guy who grew up in Marlboro, and I think he spent the whole time bashing. Marlboro was...
0: We don't have a lot of listeners anymore in Marlboro.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It didn't reward uniqueness or... Certainly or not. If you, it didn't re- reward difference. So if there was anything about you difference whether it was LGBTQ, whether it was ethnicity, whether it was religion, it did not reward that in the town so, of
2: marlboro. So actually, the guy that I went up dating from marlboro I would say that like he was a little. So they were definitely well off, right? And they were definitely people of means and money, but. I think probably because of he had his means, means and money, he, he was sort of allowed the privilege of being different there. Like he was like eclectic, like a stoner guy, like a musician guy, like a a very LGBTQ friendly, very diverse um, in his experiences, and his world travel. He definitely spent a lot of time outside of Marlboro as well. So like I, but like a lot of his friends were, you know, Marlboro folks, I guess, but yeah. But he was not, I would not say he was like sheltered or, um, or like, or lived in sort of any siloed existence.
0: Um, I, I, I mean, in defense of Marlborough. I think given the the ages we are, um, I might be older than everyone here, but I don't think, I don't think anywhere was different. You know, I don't think okay. if you were, if, you know, if you grew up in Old Bridge or East Brunswick, you know, and you were a little, um, if you're LGBTQ or a little. Um, sure out would of, of sync. I think you got you know um you know crooked nail gets the hammer and 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 it's a things The things are much different now than they were right. 20, 20 30 years ago um,
2: right right no you're probably right yeah. and and the Marlborough thing can apply to where I went to high school too um in ocean Township i didn't see a whole lot of in our class of graduating class of 300 I didn't see a whole lot of uh ethnic or racial diversity I didn't see a whole lot of uh sexual or or gender identity um, diversity. I think that there were probably like two out LGBTQ kids in my graduating class. And um, obviously the the crowd wasn't always in their favor or, you know, welcoming and inclusive. Um, And then after we graduated high school, a ton of people came out, you know, after they went to college and felt comfortable being in, in whatever environment was not within Ocean Township, but, you know, when we were 15, 16, 17, 18, wasn't really a thing. Yeah, I,
1: knew, I,
2: see, yeah. I knew that yeah. I was, but it's not something I shared with, with my friends either, you know? Same, no, same.
1: And I think part of it, you know, and, and Lauren and I have talked about it, not to just dive right into this one. I think for so long where I struggled with uh people who were bi was because when i was growing up we all said that when we were actually gay right so you tested the water by saying you were bi and then right. you assessed who flipped the fuck out on you and they did and people did and then mm-hmm. once you realized if they flip were flipping out on you for being bi, you were never telling them you were gay, which is actually what you were, you never were bi. Um, and so, it, you know, I would say it took many years for me to realize that not everybody's gay, <laughs> says they're bi, right? Just because that's your existence and that was your experience growing up, there are people who came out as bi who are bi. Um, and it took like a long time for me to to understand that that was not their stepping stone to coming out as gay.
2: So what I will say about that, obviously, and you, you and I have had this discussion a lot of times, is that, you know even within the queer community, uh, there is so much gatekeeping, right, regarding bisexuality. But if we look like, and you know, I like numbers and I I deal a lot in hard hard and fast facts and statistics, uh, especially when we're talking about this stuff and in my advocacy piece and in my lobbying work and things like that, uh, we need numbers. And so if we look at how people are identifying now, there are more people who are in the LGBTQ community who are identifying as bisexual than are identifying as a lesbian or a gay man. Um, And so what I will say is that I think it's, it's probably been difficult, uh, not difficult, but, you know, different for people who are lesbians or people who are gay men to um, sort of let down the guard of, because I understand the need to, to create only lesbian spaces, right. And only gay men spaces. And it comes from a desire to be, to, to provide safety and to provide community, right? From other people who can't necessarily understand your specific experience. But what I will say is that it has led to a lot of uh, bi-erasure and bi-invisibility and- And uh, and, just for- And gatekeeping. Um, I mean, it's, it's sort of what you just said, right? Like people assume that like, if you say you're bi, well, either you're lying or you're gay and you don't want to say you're gay. Um, and I will tell you as a bisexual woman who identified as such for 25 years, um, it's easy, like other bi people, it, dudes that present as straight, right. And, and have never identified publicly as bisexual. Like I got a lot of people who, who will confide in me or say, you know, you know, I never thought about it that way, but I guess if I think about it, like I'm bi too, um, and it's, so it's not like an overtly, um, visible identity, right? Especially for those of us who present in sometimes heteronormative or straight passing ways. Um, yeah, so I would say that the bi erasure and bi invisibility comes either from the way we're presenting or not presenting, and then also what other people think of bisexual identity. And I have absolutely had people tell me that bisexuality is not a, uh, valid queer identity, which, uh, is the most full of shit thing I've ever heard, to be quite honest. Um, and, 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 you know, speaks, I think, to, to the sort of propensity or instinct of some people to not, when you don't understand something fully to deny it or hate it. Right. And that's sort of something that people do. Um, one thing with bi, well, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say two things. One is that
1: like this idea that you're somehow more promiscuous, right? Because you like both men and, and women. It's like, well, it's certainly like I'm baffled when people like make that comment to a bisexual person, like well, yeah, you just like, we're screwing everybody all day long, and it's like, wait, what? What? I mean,
2: it's, okay. straight people are screwing everybody all day long if they were inclined to do that. And gay people are screwing everybody all day long if they're inclined to do that. It's not like it's not like an indecisiveness. It's not like an inability to choose one partner. That's a lifestyle choice. That's not a sexuality choice. Um, the other thing is that like. Yeah, so I mean, I've had people, you know, indicate to me. um that that bisexuality is not a valid queer identity um which sort of hammers home even further why it is because it's 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 sort of like a marginalization of a marginalized community which you know always blows my mind but um you know as i have i think gotten- the
1: statistics too for bisexuals are the worst aren't they right in terms of like depression loneliness i think they're like
2: suicidal ideality yeah like i think bisexuals actually higher than
1: than people who identify as gay or straight but uh, i'm sorry uh gay men people who identify as lesbian or gay but what yeah. the one thing i'm going to say to you that i'm still and this is again like a result of my age similar to kind of my experience <laughs> with being bi is like when people identify me as queer so i so strongly identify as a lesbian and i know that mm-hmm. that term is maybe out of fashion but when people no. say queer i don't I don't usually correct you, but I don't at all, I don't even know that I fully understand what the word means. And I I can tell you, I don't identify as queer. I identify as either gay or lesbian.
2: (laughs) Right on. Um, I think that for me, it it comes with um, everything evolves, right? Language evolves, our understanding of things evolves, our understanding of self evolves. Mine certainly has. Um, I think that at this point in time, if i hadn't always identified as bisexual i would probably be more inclined to identify as pansexual right because bisexual indicates that there is a gender binary and that's like an idea that's rooted in in the the thought that there is a gender binary which as we know is not even true um and has never been true but you know as we're expressing and learning the language and and the globalization of language uh, i think for me queer is just sort of like the next natural step in um in, like my self journey my understanding self my understanding of others um there are definitely people that i would not like you like i would never think to call you like amy is part of the queer community i'd be like amy's a lesbian um yeah straight up and, and, and you know and
1: is that age i wonder if that's my age if my age you and i
2: are roughly you and i are roughly the same age 45. i mean I mean, I look great. I look great, but I am 41. Um, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like 28 or anything. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it just is that everything evolves. As my understanding of the world and myself evolves, I am comfortable being queer. I am comfortable being LGBTQ. I am comfortable being bisexual. I am comfortable being pansexual. Um, And you refresh my memory. Pansexual is you
1: aren't attracted to attracted or not attracted to a gender you're like attracted to the spirit
2: of the person i think that's, that's more right? like demisex demisexual i, I okay, think that- then you have to tell me what pansexual
0: oh i've never heard think, that term
2: i think that pansexual is um it's more like not specifically or only attracted to one gender okay and that does that can include um being attracted to people who identify as non-binary
1: oh gotcha
2: okay that makes sense right so it's a sort of rejection of the gender binary as part of sexuality
1: are you okay joe
0: yeah i'm good i never heard <laughs> that that's a new term for me the demisexual and it's you know I've noted um yep
1: i know i so should queer be more queer, of these
0: terms the word uh, queer is more is you know being older i'm more familiar with it that was the term so like it's an older so for me i, I understand it more based on what I heard when I was a kid.
2: And uh, at that point in a, time, it was a derogatory slur, right? I mean, it was They all were,
0: right? Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the other one. Um, so, um, but it's interesting to see that word have come, you know, come back around. Um mm-hmm the circle now uh, in terms of uh, possession of the uh, of, of the uh, possession of the identity rather than the...
1: and when we're defining queer again like for my edification i i don't have like a bad association with it it's just i just identify as a lesbian or even dyke but i know that makes people uncomfortable when you say dyke so for queer it's so just define me queer lauren what exactly does that include
2: um i don't think i don't really know that I don't really know that I am equipped to entirely define queer. I think that I would probably define queer as anything that is not straight. Okay. Right? So I was going to
1: say anything that is other, anything that is other than like the, the heteronormative
2: straight couple. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, and understanding and if, you, if you right. want to, if you want to take a deep dive into it, there are trans people who do not identify as queer because they're straight right? Like a a trans woman who is dating a man um, might not identify as LGBTQ or LGB, right? Right. As we're separating gender identity from, from sexuality. So, I mean, and I think it's just like, I'm not equipped to, first of all, I'm not equipped to speak for the whole or by and large of anything, except for my own personal experience. And I would say the, the, the jobs and tasks that I have to fulfill um, but I would say that like uh queer is it's a personal you know it's like everybody identifies as what they are who they are uh, I would only I would the only qualification I put on queer is just that it's not cisgender heteronormative
1: okay and when you so when did you come out as bi and take? Was that is that process like something similar? So for example, get and I'm sure you know this, but gay people, I have to come out like anytime I started a new job. So one of my mm-hmm. first jobs was at this coity um, toity firm, and um, I didn't come out because I was waiting for my bar results, and I thought I'm not going to come out here. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to you know try to pass. Right, I'm gonna pass, get my bar results, and then move along because it was not going to be something that I was going to stay at long. And then um, I failed the bar, so I'm stuck at this job that I don't want. And they've made like some offhand comments that are unpleasant to you know regarding gay men and women. So I realize I have to come out, right? And that's just like I, ha- I had to come out at that job, and when I left that job, I had to come out at the next job, and I had to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even when I meet, I mean, everybody in Asbury obviously knows I'm gay and married, but you know, sometimes when I'm at new places, people don't, right? So again, it's like, no, my wife, and I was just somewhere, rec- oh, I was playing poker at the Borgata, and somebody said, oh, are you here with your husband? And I said, no, I'm here with my wife. And so, take me through that pri- process as a bisexual.
2: Or is it just so I mean, for me, like what I would probably consider like coming out is that like other people in my life know or knew that I had a relationship in one, one way or another with a woman that was not strictly platonic friendship, right? So for me, that was my parents and my friends. So that happened for me like my freshman year of college, um, like. I brought my girlfriend home. I'm not sure that my mom understood entirely what was going on. Um, but like, they definitely understood when we broke up and it was, um, upsetting and traumatic for me. I was in love with her. Um, you know, and it was a breakup just like it had ever been with, with a boy, you know, it was sad and, and took me some time to get over and whatever. Um, And my friends, you know, my friends at college obviously knew that I was dating somebody who lived in our dorm, um, and that was not a big deal. Um, I also joined a co-ed fraternity when I was at Rutgers called Gamma Sigma, Shop Gamma Sigma. Um, It's on Union Street. It is um, interfaith, multicultural, all ethnicities, all races, all religions, all gender identities and sexualities welcome, and it always has been that way since well before I got there, actually, they had, for they had, son, some,
0: for, they had some really good go parties on. there. They had some great parties there.
2: We had some. <laughs> we still have amazing parties. Um, it's <laughs> it's probably like the only house at Rutgers that's not owned by like a national, and we own our own house, so we still own our own really valuable piece of property on Union Street, uh, right across the street from College Ave. Um, and it was uh, an incredibly transformative place as far as my personal understanding of myself. Um. So, yeah, so, I mean, I would consider that, like, coming out, but then, like, at the same time, I mean, I went up marrying a man, so I'm, like, married to a man, I'm, like, this is my husband, and people are, like, but I thought you are the chair of the LGBTQ Dems." and I'm, like, well, the thing about that is that bisexuals exist, so, like, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it's always a coming out, too, whether it's, um and I'm not quiet about it at work, I work in a fairly conservative field for my full-time job, I work in healthcare finance, I'm a data analyst. Um, and I um, obviously, you know, people assume that it's straight or whatever, because uh, like my husband used to come to the Christmas parties and stuff like that. But um, I'm not quiet either. Like I got a big pride flag in my cubicle. Your entire no, you
1: wall know. behind you right now, Lauren, is all pride. Yeah. Uh, your entire, the,
2: all of Lu- that going on there. And Wu-Tang, um,
1: which is and, very and important Wu-Tang. as
0: well. Yeah, Wu-Tang. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but you know, I mean, as you know, that's like my professional life is like one thing and that's sort of like over here and that's sort of like what keeps me in health insurance and feeds my dog and pays my car payment and whatnot. But like, you know, the the bulk of what I spend my time on is not, is everything else. So yes, this is my office. These are the things that I experienced that, that are dear, near and dear to me. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the coming out is, is always, a thing too whether it's like it's always a thing. it's always a thing and, this, you this know? Is and con- i have to come out to both members of our community and members of the street or you know street community as well sometimes it's a little confusing
0: and this is the conversation about uh privilege right i never have to expend that energy you right? No more i mean in other words rarely does anyone ask um,
1: right? so and, and um but people probably all the time say your wife and it doesn't occur it does people probably say all the time oh your wife or your girlfriend and it doesn't occur to you because people say to me outside of Asbury or outside of Monmouth County your Mm. husband
2: similar to this this poker player at the Borgata I think Hmm. right which is ridiculous anyway because like let's be honest you know I mean we have friends I, I have friends people you know people I know that look like a heteronormative straight couple right but one of them is a trans man, um, so like you can't yeah, ever, I ever say anything about a per, you know. I
1: never say how's your husband unless I know I, this you know person, sure, in some capacity.
2: And and I think that if we're all proceeding with the with the good intention of learning more about other people and asking you know to get to know people, that's a fine question. You know, um, I think that when we make assumptions, though, that that's you know well where we're still playing into the same sort of. Uh, structure that have has always sought to um, oppress and exclude us anyway so
1: so I have to get into politics because we've um digressed on, on, on politics so tell sure. us how you got involved in politics and then um I know you do a little bit of work for Garden State Equality too we're obviously big fans of Christian um and you know Jan Moore adores you Um, So tell us how you are involved in politics and um, some of the, some of the um, legislation that I know you're proud of passing.
2: Sure. So, I mean, so I guess all of these things are sort of like uh, intertwined, right? Um, So we'll we'll like pick, pick that apart a little bit. So like long time ago, whatever it was, 10 years ago. um, I mean, I've always been, you know, socially aware and, and active in, I guess, action uh, but not necessarily politically it's like i uh, i mean i've always been a registered democrat and i voted you know in every election that i could vote since i was 18 um so a long time ago um a friend of mine was running for council in neptune city and um it, the year before that, uh, Councilwoman Pamela Renee had just gotten on, right? She had just won her first election and she was the first openly LGBTQ person elected in Neptune City. And she was the only Democrat on council, I think, at the time. And it seemed like a good idea or it seemed like a good time, like there, that that might be the step, uh, the foot in the door for other Democrats to get elected in Neptune City. There was an election. Um, so my friend was running he's not an LGBTQ person. He is a straight cisgender man, but, uh he and I actually worked together and that's how I knew him. Um, so yeah, so we, we used to work together a long time ago at, at um, the hospital when I was doing ER registration, like long time ago. So he was like, uh, I'm going to run for council in Neptune city and I want you to help me with my campaign. And I was like, I, I don't know anything about this, but let's do it. So we start, um, getting involved, right? Organizing. I, um, start learning a lot about canvassing and campaigning and campaign finance and, uh, c- cutting turf and walking and talking to voters and doing outreach. And, um, we started sort of going to these groups that were, um, affiliated with Monmouth County Democrats. Um, so I, I found myself you know, at one of the meetings of the LGBTQ Dems in, in Monmouth County. And I met a bunch of people there, um, and Councilwoman Pamela Renee was there attending, you know, as well with like her, uh, she was, she was dating this woman at the time, and so she was there, and Councilman Ed Zipperidge from Red Bank was there, and so there was a variety of different people coming in and out, both, both, both straight and not, um, And we just started like I just started going to their meetings um, and it was uh, I would say like somewhat of an older crowd, older than me, for sure. And Jan Moore was there and Harry and Louisa were there and uh, folks like that. So it was sort of like a couple, a generation or two older than me was the sort of basis of the group. Um, And the chair was this woman, Anne, um, who I'm sure you knew as well. Yeah. So Baker. Yeah. So Anne was the chair when I started going there. Um, and Anne's, Anne's wife, Carol is, uh, still a dear friend as well. Um, I just saw Carol like last week or whatever. Um, okay. So yeah, so I started going there and it was like, uh, not, I'm not going to say disorganized because that implies some sort of criticism. (laughs) Um, but what I would say is that what I learned like at, uh, at my co-ed fraternity, one of the uh, important things that I learned besides how to tap a keg um, was Robert's rules of order and things like that, how to run a meeting, um, which we were pretty, uh, pretty stringent about because, you know, you only have an hour. You got to make it work. You got to keep going. So, you know, I think, we were trying to move in the direction of like less of a discussion group and more of like a political action group, right. Less of like a coffee clutch and more of like a organizing structure. So, um, I think at one point I was just like, Hey, do you guys want to like learn some things about like organizing structure and like whatever, and like uh, meeting, running a meeting. And then, um, I brought my copy of Robert's Rules of Order. And I was like, so let's just implement this. And so you can keep the meeting moving. And then Anne, um, Anne at the time was ill. um, And she was very ill. And um, they stopped, Carol and Anne stopped coming to meetings when Anne got sick, very sick. So I guess kind of like, it was just like, you know, looking for leadership. And I was like, Will do this. So my friend did not win his election. He actually won his election by one vote, and then they asked for a recount. And during the recount, he wound up losing by two votes. Um. So he did not- just as somebody who's involved in local politics,
1: that when you lose by a couple of hundred, people think, oh, you don't lose right. by a lot. But if you lose by a lot, there's no way your fr- childhood friend didn't. It, it doesn't matter if 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 twenty people told you they voted and they didn't because you can check that. Right. So, but when you lose by one or two or three votes, it is something that eats at you, of course, for entire existence because it just required you to hit you know, to your two neighbors who were too lazy to get up and get out and vote. Yeah, Absolutely. it's the worst. It's the, I didn't work. lose Are by you? a lot in my first election and it drove me crazy. I would have much rather lose by hundreds of votes than- <laughs> Oh, I didn't realize that you ran
2: time. and lost. I didn't realize that you ran now, and my lost. First, in
1: 2009, I ran. And that's its own story. I didn't have like voter, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. It was a bunch of us just mm-hmm. hanging out. Um, right. And I lost by a small number. I'm going to- I don't remember now, but it was a small number, and I always remember. Anyway, that drives a person crazy. But you, I, mean, I also when have to you, do. So oh when,
0: when you lose by a little bit like that, do you do you start to suspect some of your friends lied to you and voted for the other? Well, person? they absolutely lied. <laughs> they absolutely
1: lied, oh. and you know they don't know that you can check. So so the, there. Are I mean, Democratic so
2: to to clarify voters. that statement. Yeah. To clarify that statement, you can't see who they voted for, but we can yeah. see whether they voted or not.
1: You right. totally can. So all yeah. these people who told your friend in Neptune, they voted, I guarantee five to 10 of them didn't. And that's why you yeah. lost.
2: And um, at that point in time, it was a targeted race by the, by the Monk County Democrats, because obviously the margin was that small. Um, there was right. a grand opportunity there. Uh, but you know, you can't, you also can't account for three votes. Like maybe people, three people in the same household got the flu. I don't know. And this was before everybody was doing, um, Early voting. That is not my experience,
1: mm-hmm. Lauren. My experience is not three people got the flu. My experience is that people didn't get out and vote and they said they did.
2: But like um, I said, we didn't know what the hell we were doing either. So I'm not sure that he whipped the appropriate majority of votes. I'm not sure that he got confirmations from 500 residents that they were going to vote for Don't forget, Neptune City is one square mile. Everybody knows everybody there. I'm not sure that he contacted 500 people that said they were. Yes, definitely. But, you know, it was a very small margin. But to your point and it eating away at you, um, after that, he was not real interested in, uh, partisan politics or running again or whatever. So, so
1: that happens and most, and you'll appreciate this with women. So one of the reasons I do almost any time that people ask me to do something related to women in politics or gay, you know, or LGBTQ people in politics, I almost always say yes is because um, one, we often lose the first time Uh, we often statistically go on to win after that. I've won every election after if not by the highest number of votes, basically by the highest number of votes. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happens on that first round when you lose, specifically with women and LGBTQ candidates, although probably most specific with women is they don't run again, Mm -hmm. which is heartbreaking, right?
2: (laughs) Absolutely. um, and you know, and uh, you know, we could talk forever about you know what happens when women run and how it takes seven times for a woman to be asked to run before she eventually says yes, things like that, and whatever those reasons are. But I think we have a time limit here. so um so, so yeah, that. so so he he did not uh, he did not win the election, so he was like, you know, smarter than me, I guess. He was like, "I'm done here." And I mm-hmm. was like, I'm all in. So, you you know, yeah, I I don't, you know, here's the thing. I'm still not hooked, right? Like I see a way forward and I see a mission, but every single day the words come out of my house, my mouth. That's like, I hate this shit. It, you know, politics make strange bedfellows. Politics make you, make you sort of realize things about yourself, um, where you want to be, what you want to do, who you think you're helping. And this is a constant Monologue in my head. Who am I helping by my presence here? What is the detriment? What is the detriment to myself? Um, And that's an ongoing thing, I think, maybe just for women or maybe LGBTQ women or maybe for everyone who does these things. So, anyway, fast forward. So, I did that for a while um, at the Monmouth County level. And I kind of, I guess, um, it's hard for me to to tell this story without like patting myself on the back, I guess, because like I'm not comfortable doing that either. Um, But I guess I would say that I, uh, legitimize the presence of the organization, or we did as a team um, to make it to grow it, right? Which was the goal. Um, and then at the same time, there were other Mama County Dems organizations that were doing the same thing—the women's group um, and uh, and things like that, the Black Caucus group. So you know, we were sort of all working towards the same goal of greater greater diversity. Um, and I started. So I got elected to Democratic State Committee in twenty seventeen. You know, I I took Anne's seat. So um, the next logical step, right, was was that I would take Anne's seat because I took Anne's role as the chair of the LGBTQ Caucus. So. I was on Democratic State Committee, and I start meeting people outside of the county. I start meeting other LGBTQ leaders in politics, whatever. Um, and then in 2019, um, my good friend Chris Hillman was resigning from being the chair of the state from the DSC's LGBTQ caucus under Chairman John Curry. Um, Chris had done that for a few years. He was seeking his fortunes elsewhere. He was already, I, uh, he was running for council. He was was he running for mayor that year? Anyway, he had other things to take care of in his municipality, in his County. And he was like, I, you know, I can't, can't keep taking all of this on. I need somebody to succeed me here. And um, it was just kind of like, he was like, you're going to do it. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. He was like, you're going to do it. Uh, And here we are. Um, And from that. um, And also, you know, I will say like in Monmouth County, we we did have a, a lot of support from like when, Senator Gopal was the chair of the Monmouth County Democrats. And we had some excellent executive directors who were um, great at communicating and supporting. And uh, so we we managed to maintain LGBTQ seats, help other LGBTQ people get elected, um, raise money for LGBTQ candidates. So it was kind of just kind of time to like expand that operation. Um, And and can I
1: bring up two impactful legislations that you worked on? and Not that yet. is girl go for it gay and trans panic defense right getting rid of the the panic defense basically the gay panic right.
2: defense, which you can talk about and
1: then the lgbtq adult uh bill of rights
2: those are two big things. i could talk about all of these things and i can take credit for none of them and here's why because these bills were so i started my a consultancy with Garden State Equality just for lobbying work. And it was, you know, that was just a fortuitous arrangement for us, both for GSE and for me, um, because I had a lot of those relationships, right, that you need with legislators and legislative offices just by virtue of what I was already doing on the political side, right? Incorporating policy made sense and also speaks more to like what I intend to do here, which is, which is more constructive, I think, than politics and that's where I find policy to be compelling. Um, And I can't take credit for any of those things because before I even got there, um, these were bills that had been introduced years before that and had expired, right? So every two years, our legislative session expires. And if a bill has been introduced in that legislative session, it hasn't been passed, hasn't gone all the way through both houses of, uh, of legislature and then had a final vote and then been signed by the governor, the bill is expired. It's dead it has to be reintroduced in the next session, right? So these bills had been introduced at least one time before that hadn't moved. Um, And so our, you know, my friends, um, Assemblyman Tim Musas and Assemblyman Reed Gishore, who's the the mayor of Trenton had put, I believe both of those bills forth or at least the gay and trans panic defense. had put those forth um and and they hadn't been moved all the way through both houses for whatever reason. So um yes, yeah, so, I mean it, you know, I didn't I didn't invent these concepts. I didn't, you know, a lot so of the groundwork could already been. You helped
1: push them through. I mean, I think sure. I should take some responsibility for
2: that. But like the the aging LGBTQ elders and uh, HIV and AIDS patients in nursing home bills, like we worked on that with Hyacinth, with the Ombudsman's Office, with AARP, with Sage, you know. So, and talk about I mean, what what do those bills do?
1: I know what they do. Sure, I'm obviously friends with Jan, but
2: sure. So well, the first one, the Gay and Transpanic Defense Bill, it just. Um, eliminates the ability for um, somebody who perpetrates a violent crime against an LGBTQ person to use their gender identity or sexual orientation as um, sort of like a defense, right? Like I I didn't realize, you know, that uh, I'm not gay and he kissed me, so I killed him, you know? Right. Um, So it's, there's that. So... That's that, and then the Aging or uh, LGBTQ Elders Bill is is a set of rules that the nursing homes that per, that receive state federal funding must abide by. Right? Actually, I don't know if it's federal funding, but state funding. Um, and it's just and what I always say about those like this is that it's unfortunate, but all we're asking for is the same dignity that it's afforded to straight and cisgender people. Right? Things that have to that don't have to be spelled out um, that are implicit for straight and cisgender people. Oftentimes are not implicitly um, provided to LGBTQ people. So, in the nursing home, we were fielding calls about people like uh, not being able to dress in the manner that matches their gender identity, right? Or uh, not being afforded the same comforts as far as their their romantic or sexual partner that's straight that's straight people were getting in nursing homes, if they're like allowed to cohabitate with their partner and things like that, if it's like, uh, you know, assisted living with apartments and things like that. So, and then it also provides that people living with HIV and AIDS in these uh, facilities will be provided with culturally competent care um, providers that are well-versed in um, in the treatments that they need and things like that. So these are things that like, we kind of have to spell out because they're often not not provided right up front. So that's what that did. And we had our friend Jan Moore testify, um, an assembly committee and that was right after COVID started. So we, uh, we did have to do virtual. Um, and then that bill was passed and signed by the governor, which was a great, um, was a great step forward, but yeah, I mean, there's still so much, you know, tons of stuff I think that we What's still need up? to work on.
0: Do you, do you have any bills that are on the horizon that you're working on currently?
2: I do. Um, <laughs> let me get you some language i mean and look, also man. just so our
1: listeners know and jan's talked to me jan's a good friend of mine we've also had her on the show she's a total character mm-hmm. um but you know people were gay people were going back in the closet because they didn't feel comfortable in right. residential healthcare facilities and these you know mm-hmm. senior living how housing, however you want to define it, they didn't. They didn't mm-hmm. feel like they could come out because of you know basically the vibe. The vibe was not mm-hmm. you know saying come out, and um and so that's the why the vibe are you know, off. Right? Um, actually, I, I would like really the vibe is
2: off. Yeah, so I would like to actually really quick roll it back because I am tired. And here are some other things that we should all be proud of that are important. Um, marriage equality codification happened last session, which, I mean, it seems like elementary that we should have, uh, marriage equality in New Jersey, but we didn't have it written into law or statute. Previously, we had, uh, we had, uh, precedent for marriage equality based on the decision of a lower court, right? So we didn't have a bill that implicitly states, um, consenting adults can marry each other regardless of their sexuality or gender uh, gender identity. And so it was important to do that, due to the things that are happening at the federal level, as I'm sure we're all aware. I'm sure I don't need to beat that dead horse. We got a bill passed. We worked with um, the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs and some LGBTQ folks over there and some of our legislative partners to pass a bill that required the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs to assist service members discharged solely due to their LGBTQ status with petitions to change the discharge designations that allows our veterans to receive the full benefits that they were denied if they were discharged dishonorably under Dode help So that helps people get their status reversed. And that can really... Improve the quality of life for some people who uh, really suffered for something that was like totally outside of their control. But listen, Lord, we're
1: getting—I have to. Well, I have to get to this part of it because we're getting <laughs> close to the end. So we have to just get to one. I want to say, are you ever going to run for office? no. No. Okay.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, absolutely not. In
1: office. Okay. Well, goodness gracious. <laughs> There's not even How do you really feel about that? <laughs> that <shut down. laughs> uh, okay. Well, I have to ask you about people running. So tell me some people that you want to uh, draw light on that are running for office that are LGBTQ that um, you want us to throw a couple bucks towards.
2: So I think it's important to note that like, you know, so we have a list of 25 or 26 candidates that we've endorsed this cycle, all LGBTQ. Um that's oh, probably send us by that no
1: list, we'll put it up.
2: Sure. That's probably by no means uh so what you're telling me is I can tell that you don't read my emails because it's it's <laughs> in there, it's I'm in there every <laughs> Yeah, I bet sound. you
0: are. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's
2: it's literally in there every single time, but anyway. <laughs> Well, we I'll send go. it over. <laughs> i
1: sorry, we gotta wrap up, guys.
2: <laughs> I'll send it over with the headline that says Amy, don't delete this. <laughs> <laughs> she, um,
0: Amy just left. Uh, no. Yeah, I she did. I, yeah.
2: I'd be I'd be embarrassed too, because I send that email every two days, dude. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we have a list of endorsed candidates, which is probably by no means an exhaustive list. Um, as we all know, it's you know. I'm sure that I don't know every LGBTQ person running for office in New Jersey, but we tried it, you know. First of all, I'd like to draw attention to your Tina for Oregon sweatshirt. I'm making phone calls for Tina on Friday. Oh
1: my God, yeah. So Heather buys me all of, um, you know, the candidate, Mm -hmm. like I have obviously Stacey Abrams' Mm-hmm. um you know i have a bunch of swag that one
2: day i'm going to make a quilt with all of these people running nice um,
1: yeah 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 i buy i buy everybody's
2: t-shirt that i want to win for everyone who doesn't know tina will be the first lesbian governor elected in oregon in theory, and my friend in theory i know it and i'm looking good my friend katie is working on her campaign out there she moved there.
1: looking good either which is like breaking my heart i can't even talk
2: about it Well, well, we we can have a whole discussion on we can have a discussion on white supremacy another time, um, even though these things are all very close to read. So anyway, so we have a list of uh, candidates that we're endorsing um, and they're all over the state and they're on all different levels. Right. Municipal um, mayor, uh, uh, county commissioner, um, school board. So in your municipality of Asbury Park, Dr. Michael Pena is running for. board of ed Ed. um excellent and qualified and a member of the community um and obviously as we know that the outcomes are better for our community when we're represented in places where decisions are made so that's cool um yeah very
1: excited about he's a nice guy too he's like generally just a nice guy
2: he's a good dude um in red bank um john jackson is running um in matawan stephen russell is running um I think that covers mom. Oh, Randy Bishop's running in Howell. So that covers mom. And then I've got Randy 21. Bishop
1: lives in Howell now?
2: He moved to Howell a couple of years ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're not, they haven't been in, in Neptune or in Ocean Grove in, I don't know, four years. Um. For anyone who doesn't know, Randy's a former mayor of Neptune Township. He is an experienced public servant, totally qualified. Um, Openly gay like like guy
1: for years. I mean, like yeah. one of the first gay people in politics I probably ever met.
2: Yep. Um, And I would just like to draw your attention. I know we're running short on time, but I would just like to draw your attention to what happens when LGBTQ candidates run in places that are not Asbury Park, right? Um, Campaigns are built on anti-LGBTQ sentiment. Uh, Sometimes in places like Howell or where I live in Wall or whatever, um, they don't even have to come up with any platform other than I'm not the gay guy um, to to sway public opinion. Um, And that's the thing that's happening And hell right now the Republicans put out a mailer that's like preserve family values, vote for these three people. It doesn't have any platform. It doesn't have any like good ideas. It just says, like, don't don't vote for the gay guy. He's the gay guy. Um, And that happens all over the state. And it happens to Pamela in Neptune City. It happens in places that are even slightly more progressive, like uh, people say it's these currently things.
1: happening right now in neptune we have a candidate running kim hoffman who has a trans child who has right. been brutalized brutalized um mm-hmm. and called things like she's going to groom your child she's mm-hmm. you know the devil in disguise so that's neptune neptune has yep. a demographic of people that is brutalizing the mother of a trans child who's running for board
2: and it you should donate money to Kim's campaign people. And it, and it gets, I already did. Um, did I. but it gets, it gets, you know, uh, it gets a little while where people like are deviating from policy and actual things that are good for their town, just to go out of their way to like say these horrible things about yeah. other people. So in Flemington, I, we have two LGBTQ candidates. That's mayor Betsy driver and council member Tony Parker. He's already on. Um, we have an LGBTQ candidate um, named Lauren and she's running in, uh, in Bergen County. We have one in Bergen County. So like we have, they're all over the state. There is an LGBTQ County commissioner candidate in Atlantic County, um, oh no, Cape May County, sorry. Dr. Julia Hankerson, um, Rebecca Williams is up in Union County, so. I gotta wrap us up because it's yeah. after eight now. Um, one, okay, name one
1: person who is not, who you wanna see run for office. That has not. Name been. one person. You name one LGBTQ person who you would like to run for office that has not run for
0: office. Is this is the draft right here.
2: Jesus. See, I can't even make a statement like that because if I say something, people, you know, like okay. it, somebody's going to get mad, right? Like, okay. why didn't you say me? Why didn't you say me? So, <laughs> why didn't you say me? Well, you know who I would like to see 100%. run again? You know who I would like to see run again? My friend Vincent Salamino. Um, Same. Same. Yeah it's and it, that's no surprise and nobody's gonna get mad about that because he's already yeah. done it. Um, but I, I would like to see him not, you know, not give up on that because I think that he truly has the heart of public 1,000%, 1, 1,000%.
1: 1, he, he would be fantastic. All right. Yeah. got to wrap up Joe, because we're at eight Oh
0: four. Yeah. One last thing. So what, what people can do, if you're listening, if you're an ally show up, you know, in all these, uh, municipalities, you just mentioned Howell, um, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere in Monmouth County, um, Neptune. You know, show a uh, Neptune show up at board of ed meetings because people are, uh, who are extraordinarily, uh, you know, against inclusive curricula, against LGBTQ issues are very organized and show up to everything to voice like their, uh, their opinion. And the allies don't because they assume, yes, well, maybe you are in a regional majority, but you have to show up. And so if you don't yep. have kids in the system, show up to every board of ed meeting because you don't know the nets that are showing up there, uh, to. Yep. Can I give you
2: Amy can I give my can I give you my 20 seconds that I would like 20 seconds
1: but we're now five minutes over.
2: (laughs) I'm so engrossing though. Um, If LGBTQ people comprise six to 12% of the population which we do six to 12% of your elected officials should be LGBTQ that would be equitable representation and it's not right? Of and course, so anything yeah. you can do to make that, um, to even that out and bring that number up is is really appreciated. If you see an LGBTQ person running, throw them five bucks, throw them a hundred bucks, knock on doors for them. If you know somebody who wants to run, encourage them, be their support system because it's a difficult road. Um, but yeah, that's just my 22nd thing. The statistics are not, are not in the favor of, of equitable representation right now. Totally. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Lauren.
0: Yeah, thank you, Lauren. Appreciate it.